Uh, our next gospel class is going to start February 2nd. What our gospel class is, it's an eight-week course. It's basic Christian theology as well as what we believe God is calling element to as a church, our vision, our mission, and our city, and our state, and our world, so you understand all of who we are and our theological background of what we believe. It's We do this because... Um, a lot of times you'll go to a church and they have like a one-hour membership class and six months into into it, you're like, I don't, these people are a bunch of weirdos and we don't want anybody to do that with us. We want you to know exactly what we believe right off the bat and so the gospel class is a prerequisite for membership here because we want you to know exactly what we believe, what we believe God is calling us into in the world. So it starts on February 2nd. Initially, we were going to try and do it in uh, during one of the services in the morning, but too many people signed up for the next gospel class. So we looked at doing it on a Wednesday night or a Sunday afternoon. After getting feedback from a lot of people back, we decided to do it on Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Uh, I'm doing the first one, and I guarantee you I will be under an hour, so you'll be out by two, unless you ask questions. Okay, Because at the end of the class, I let you ask any questions you want, and, and we answer those for you. So if it goes long, it's your fault. All right, But I, I plan to be under an hour. So... February 2nd, 1 p.m. is gonna, when it's going to start. If you want to come and you need child care, I February 2nd on my thing. On the 4th, this is an orange pen. That's actually orange. Wow, that's sweet. Don't leave it up here if you don't want me to take it. Where, oh, you're third service. I can, I can ramble. Um, my wife and I are at this restaurant in, on the East Coast visiting her family last year, and the waitress had this pen, and it was this really cool, vibrant blue. It's like this baby blue, but it was really vibrant. And I'm like, oh, so I signed my name, and I stuck it in my pocket and left her a couple extra bucks because I'm like, I still got it. I still got that pen. Anyway, what was I saying? Oh, so February 4th, don't forget. Uh, Sunday afternoon, 1 p.m., if you need child care, uh, sign up so we know how many child care workers to have for it, but we do offer child care for that. And I think that's what I got. So welcome to Element. If you are new, don't leave your pen laying around me. I will steal it. Uh, there, if you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Uh, if you don't own one, we'd love for you to have one. Take it home with you. Forgot, if you forgot one, you can use one. On the community tables around the room, there are sermon notes, but they look like this right now. For the next 16 weeks, there are these booklets, and we'd love for you to have one, even if this is like your first week and you're, you're like, I hate that guy, never going back. Well, please take it home with you anyway, because uh, these are the sermon notes. Uh, and if you go and you look up Uversion, you can actually go online, download this app. It's called Uversion. Click on More and then Events. We'll come up by GPS in your smartphone, but you won't get the booklet in Uversion. You're going to get some verses. You'll get, I think, a link to the booklet in a PDF form and some stuff like that, but you won't get it. But if you don't want to feel like flipping through the verses we do this morning, you can still use Uversion and get the verses. You're welcome. I hope this makes sense. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? We'll just get started. Uh, this is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. And it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would take us as a people and enable us to understand what you are calling us into as a people. 
that we would understand how you have rescued and redeemed and restored us, and we in turn would live lives that recognize that and that give you great glory as we live in the great joy that you provide, that we would be a people who understand redemption and salvation and hope and life, and most importantly, how all these things reference into what the gospel is, and we live out the gospel in everything that we do. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so I actually have in my notes that we could have, if things worked a different way, we would be in a building that we actually built on a piece of land that we own. And so I actually wrote this. I said, don't spill your coffee or the bouncers will toss you out on your ear. Just kidding, but I wrote just kidding as well. So basically we have a new to us building and the first thing we're trying to do of 2018 in the new to us building is to recenter and refocus us on who we believe God is calling us to be as a church. So we were doing this whole thing through these booklets that we've been talking about. Uh, it's the, the series, again, it's called Didn't See That Coming because what God does, none of us ever saw coming. And instead of sermon notes is the booklets. In this, we take 16 weeks to walk through this and refocus us all together. You will have in this booklet you'll have uh daily devotions and if you go in here it's just one simple verse and a question and you might be thinking well i do more than that i'm way more spiritual than a verse and a question great do more that do what you ever normally do but if you're someone who never has a daily quiet time with god this is a way for us to help you start that one verse one question pray think about it throughout the day and hopefully by the end of 16 weeks of doing this you'll be like What's going on? I'm missing something today. Oh, yeah, I didn't spend time with God this morning. And so it would get you in the habit of beginning to do that. Now, if you do have a have a daily time where you get together with God every day, please do what's in the book as well as whatever else that you do. We don't want it to be like legalistic or any sort of that, but it's a good way to help us all be on the same page, kind of spending time with God every single day. You also have family questions, gospel community questions. If you're not in a gospel community, you can ask some of your friends those questions and kind of begin to live those things out and maybe make a de facto gospel community with you and and your friends. And as I said, by the end, we all want to be moving the same direction to what we believe God is calling us to as a people. This year at Element, we want to be very present in what God is doing. And I know this, I said this something special, but really everything we do at Element is centered around the gospel in, in our practical ways. A lot of people, when they, when you hear the word the gospel, a lot of people don't know what it really is. I asked my GC leader Donald to make me a video asking people, hey, what's the gospel? And he actually said, and I listened to him, he said, we probably shouldn't do that because you're going to show that and people are going to feel really dumb if people don't have the right answer right off the bat. And I said, oh, that's really good. So I'll just talk about Sarah McCool. Um, I, Ms. Sarah McCool, she was talking to me about this as well, and it made me rethink this a little bit, because she said she's, she's very confident in what the gospel is when she talks about it, and, but when somebody puts her on the spot about it, she has a hard time articulating it and, and what it means and making it come out in a practical way. So over the next 16 weeks, what we want to do in this series is help us all to understand the gospel so we can live and speak the reality of it into every situation in our lives. Now, the word gospel, it's this word called evangelion, and it simply means the good news or more specifically the telling of good news. Like if you have a favorite news app, you know, not like entertainment news or Facebook news or your buddy's feed on Facebook, which is always fake news, but like like a news app or maybe CBS news or something, something you watch to get the news from. Well, the gospel is news spoken by a herald like a newscaster that's good in nature like we got a better jobs report or california got rain or the fires got put out that's evangelion 
But when we speak about the gospel, we talk about the greatest news that the world has ever been given. And that is what Jesus has done to bring us back into relationship with God and others again. Sometimes people will say things like, I am committed to sharing the gospel. But what they share is like really weird Christian gibberish that has nothing to do with the gospel at all. People will say, well, Jesus changed my life. Well, that's not the gospel. That's the result of the gospel. People will say things like, God loves you. That's not the gospel. That's part of the gospel. The gospel is essentially all this news about Jesus. And what, in its entirety, it's definite content about Jesus and what God has done from the foundation of the world in the person and the work of Jesus. Who He is, what He has done, and how then we, by God's grace, get to partake in those benefits. So we call this series, Didn't See That Coming, because in reality, what God does is something none of us ever saw coming. It's what God has determined to do Himself and accomplish. At the end of each of these weeks, we're going to give you a phrase that wraps up from the message what we have talked about and how the gospel relates to who we are. And today we're going to start with the understanding of mankind being made in the image and likeness of God, which none of us saw coming because we weren't made yet, so we didn't see anything coming. Okay, tough crowd. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. And I know part of this you're going to feel like I'm skipping a lot of the creation account, but I'm not. I'll briefly sum up for you. Uh, God did it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I know, I, I, I have some friends who, who have to have a literal six-day creation account. I have other friends who are like, no, no, the earth is six billion years old. And each of these people try and get the book of Genesis to fit into like a scientific framework. So we can say, oh, no, Genesis says this. Is, well, you have to understand something about the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis is what we call a functional ontology. This is how the Hebrews would look at it. How does it what was God doing in the creation to make it functional? The function of it is God making people as his image bearers and how does then creation glorify who he is and grow us into who we're meant to be what's the function of it it's not necessarily meant to be just a material ontology of oh here's six days of creation it's this functionalness of what god is doing and genesis you got to understand the first chapter of genesis it's a poem it's a song it's meant to have this lyrical movement and the whole point is that god made it genesis 1 1 says this first five words in the beginning god created in the hebrew that's actually three words and not five. The first word is beginning. It's this word called bereshit or reshith. Got to be careful how you say that because you might get you in trouble like does a bear in the woods, right? It could be translated as when God began to create. In Hebrew, the, the entire thought of this first verse isn't completed until verse 3 where God brings light into his creation. Verse 2 describes the state of things, formless and empty. This is how everything is until God brings functionality to it. This is why even in the New Testament, we are told when God speaks into our lives, we become the people he intends for us to be. Galatians 4.19 says, until Christ is formed in you. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we are new creations in Christ. That's the idea of the functionality of what God does. The second word is this word create. This is the word bara. In the Old Testament text, only God gets to bara. Nobody else in the narrative, anywhere in the entire Bible, gets the word bara. Only God is used exclusively of who he is. And the wording signifies from the Bible's perspective, this creation, what's going to follow in the book, depends solely on God for it coming into existence. It is beyond the human capacity to reproduce. You ever hear that question, what came first, the chicken or the egg? You know what the answer is? Well, Yes. Seriously, you're in church. 50% of the time, say, Jesus, you're right, right? No, the answer is the chicken. The chicken came first. 
because this word bara, it refers to a completed product, not the material from which it's made. And so when people say, oh, what came first, chicken or the egg? It's chicken. Boom. Why? Because I believe the Bible. Boom. There you go. Done. And when God creates, this is what we call creation in ex nihilo. This means out of nothing. This is repeated throughout the Old Testament, even in apocryphal books in the Old Testament. Like 2 Maccabees 7.28 says, look up to heaven and earth and see all that is therein and know that God made them out of things that did not exist. There's this repeated emphasis upon God as the exclusive creator, which rules about the possibility of anything coming to existence any other way. So the first word is this word, bereshit, or reshit. The second word is not God, it's actually bara. And the author puts these two words together, so the solemn declaration of what's about to take place for the rest of the narrative, because then you get to the word God. This is the big G on the I chart, or actually it's the big E, because in Hebrew it's Elohim, so the big E on the I chart. And Genesis never exhibits any interest in the questions about God's origins. His existence prior to the world is taken as a given, and it does not even require assertion, let alone proof. There is no definition of God or any mystical speculation about him. It's just God just is, bam, deal with it. See, God's nature finds expression not in philosophical abstractions. God is someone who shows himself who he is by how he interacts with this creation that he will now go on to make. This is what the book of Genesis will detail so we know who God is in his person through what he does and his interaction with the human beings that he will create. Now, God, not explaining himself, gives a lot of people pause. because like, God should explain himself to me because I'm very, very important. And, well, God just laughs at us. For that, But let me do my best to try and explain what this is and how it works the best I can. I may lose you in the explanation, and I'm sorry if I do. Come and ask me later, and I'll lose you again. Anyway, okay, so this is called cause and effect. Every effect has a cause. A few years ago, I made this dog pen in my old backyard. I, I dug down, I put concrete in and decomposed granite, put a fence around it, put water, a doghouse, food. And if you look at that pen, you would say, someone built that. Someone built that. It has design and a purpose. It may not be that intelligent of a design, but it's got a design and has a designer. That's cause and effect. Every effect has a cause. According to scientific theory, something coming from nothing does not make sense. David Hume, who is a much-quoted atheist, says this is one of the biggest problems for atheists, that something coming from nothing just doesn't make sense. Everything that comes into existence has to have a cause. It looks like this philosophically. Whatever begins to exist has a cause. The universe and mankind began to exist. Therefore, the universe and mankind has a cause. Now, as I keep saying, Genesis is not a scientific treaty. It's written from a Hebrew perspective and starts out with the simple fact of that God creates everything. This is why Genesis starts the way that it does. We know that the cause of all things must be supernatural. It must be outside the laws of nature. It also must be uncaused because there cannot be an infinite regression of causes. And it must be timeless because it is the creator of time. Then it goes on to create space and matter, so it transcends space and matter. But we call this being God. What caused God? Nothing. Nothing. Only what begins to exist has a cause philosophically. So we call God the uncaused cause because he created everything we see and know and even the things that we don't know. God creates this thing called time. We, have, we can't even reference God without referencing time. Oh, God's eternal. God's always been. These are all references to time, which is the thing that God made and places us within, but God stands outside of time, outside of all that. And as American culture, when we hear in the beginning, we think, well, what day was that? January 7th, February 2nd, <laughs> you know, what, what year was that? I, I need to know what it is. Because we think if we can figure that out, it'll make us feel better about our faith. Or on the opposite extreme, make us be able to disprove God. 
But God hasn't given anybody that option. He simply states, I did it. Just get over it. In the beginning, Rashith. This can mean so many things. It can mean the first of its kind. It can mean the choice part, like filet mignon or the top of a muffin, because the top of the muffin is always the best. And if you want the bottom... I'll give them the bottom of my muffins, because I only really want the top. It can mean first fruits. It can mean firstborn. What it means is at the beginning, at some point, Genesis is this ancient text, and it's not meant to give you a day and a time. It says, how old does it say the earth is? It doesn't, because it doesn't matter. The point is that God made everything. In the beginning, God created. People love to ask me, okay, Aaron, but what do you think? Really, I won't tell anybody. Just let me out. I'm like... I don't know. You don't know. No one knows because the Hebrew at in the beginning means really at some point God did this thing. Some people say, oh, but there's radiometric dating and the earth is 4.5 to 6 billion years old. I'm like, okay, I don't need to argue with you. Oh, no, no, no. I've, I've read the Bible and it's 10,000 years old because we have genealogies. And you fail to take into account what the genealogies mean or the Hebrew words for that. But I'm like, it's 10,000 years. I'm like, Okay, okay, you know, fine, whatever. No one knows. 10,000, 10 billion. Oh my gosh, what is it? Aneurysm. Ah! What are you going to do? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's that God made it. That's the point. The functionality of what you read in Genesis is the point. I will tell you this. It is the best of all the other options that are out there. I watched the movie The Martian. I don't want to live on Mars. I don't like potatoes. I don't want to live on Venus. I don't like the smell of methane or sulfur. I drive by the hot springs and I'm like, ooh, roll up the windows. It's horrible. I don't want to live there. This is, this is the best planet. It's good. It has all the ingredients for cookies. It's a good place to be. It's a good place to be. So that's, that's the whole thing behind this. Genesis 1-1, Moses is talking about God. That's who he's talking about. It's like every book of the Bible. It's all about God. We're always trying to make it about us, but it's all about him. And so when Moses writes this, it's not meant to be exhaustive. It doesn't tell you all there is to know. It simply tells us what we need to know to know God. It is not a book about dinosaurs and monkeys. Many times I hear that, oh, are the dinosaurs in the Bible? No, because it doesn't matter. It doesn't. Are there dogs in the Bible? Maybe, I don't know, but none of them are named. It's not about dogs. It's about God and man and what God is going to do. So God, through Moses, gives us what we need to know to understand who he is and what God has done. Does that make sense? <sighs> okay, deep breath. There she, at the beginning of time, doesn't say when, bara Elohim. This is this momentous assertion about the nature of God. And what is that? That God is wholly outside of time, just as he's outside of space, which then he begins to go and create. In other words, for the first time in religious history in the Near East, God is conceived of being a being that is completely free of temporal and spatial dimensions. And on top of all of that, this God who created all things then reveals himself to his creation. This God that made all things reveals himself to us. Not only has he made the universe and everything that we see and set everything in motion, he deems to make himself known to us because we never figure him out on our own. Didn't see that coming. And we're going to deal with that idea throughout the course of this thing, of, of God constantly revealing who he is. In Romans 1, 19 and 20, we're reminded that God has revealed himself in such a way that mankind is without excuse for not believing in him. And if mankind is without excuse for not believing, then obviously he must reveal himself in a way that we can know who he is. So creating man becomes the crowning event of this first chapter of the book of Genesis. Again, didn't see that coming. So Genesis 1, 26, if you still got your Bibles open. 
Send them back to Genesis 1, I promise. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Now skip to verse 27. I'll come back to the portion I'm skipping in just a minute. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, if you love a six-day creation account, this would be on Friday, just in time for the weekend. Woohoo! Go. Okay. Uh, origins are very important. Where do we come from? We know who we are based upon our family and where we come from. Like people ask me, hey, where are you from? Because it helps you to know how to take me. Well, I was actually born in Santa Maria. That's what's wrong with me. Okay, you got that? Genesis lets us know that we came from God. We were made for God. We were going to return to God. And the text says this line, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And if you've been around Christianity, you know that we teach that there is only one God and salvation is found in no one else other than the name of Jesus Christ. And so you read this, you go, what's this us thing? It's like God and angels? No, no. This is Father, Son, and Spirit. We believe in a triune God and they are all involved in making man. And so when God uses the word image and likeness, these are synonyms because up to this point in Genesis, God has had things create according to their kind. So you would have berries make berries and trees make trees and animals make animals. But when God makes people, it's something that's completely different. We are the only thing that is set to bear the image of God. And yes, when we have children, they are, you know, there there are kids, and so people are making people. But that child that is birthed is still made in the image and likeness of God. We are the only thing that is said to be able to bear the image and likeness of God. And this makes the creation of man different than animals and berries and stars and planets. Image and likeness. Part of this means you have a mind and you can rationalize. You have a heart that's real and it pumps blood through your veins, but also a metaphorical heart and you can love. You can communicate. You have a body and a spirit, but it's more simple and more astounding than that because what are we? We are the image and likeness of God. This is what made John Calvin once write this, as a mirror reflects an image, so man is to reflect God. And before you go all crazy Christian TV on me, I'm not saying that we are God. We're, we're not. But when we love, we will show that God's a loving God. And when we forgive, we'll show that God's a forgiving God. And when we serve, we show that God is a serving God. We are made to reflect God's goodness into his creation. When God eventually calls the nation of Israel to be priests, he will tell them, don't make any images of me. Why? Because images would be idols. They'd be poor representations of who he was. And so God said, you are to be my image and likeness to the world. That's when people look at you, they're supposed to see who I am. People were to know who God is by how his people lived that out, by how they lived as his image bearers in the world. And that goes true for today. It's why we still say that everyone on this planet has dignity, value, and worth because they are made in the image and likeness of God. Didn't see that coming either. Image and likeness refers to God being a trinity, that God experiences perfect community within himself. He has perfect relationship within himself. God didn't make us because he was lonely or bored or needed someone to love him. God is perfectly perfect in his person. Being in God's image means that we were created for relationships and love, to live in community. And much of what it means to be an image bearer of God is that we love and are involved in each other's lives around us. John 13, 35, Jesus says, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, next week, what you're going to see is this thing that we call the fall, and sin comes into the world and messes everything up, and it's all our fault. It'll separate us from God and from each other. But the gospel, the good news, the greatest herald of news that's ever been told is that Jesus came to reconcile us to God and to one another as well. And when we are a people who live out that love for one another, it's living as image bearers of God, so the entire world will know. 
what God does in this creation then is he gives mankind dominion. Genesis 1.26, the second half of that, which I skipped. See, I'm coming back. Good on my promise. And he says, And let them have dominion, that's mankind, over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Now, environmentalists, they hate this verse. They're like, oh, that's horrible. What is that? It's because they don't understand it. Just like a lot of Christians don't understand it. We, we are not another type of animal. We have dominion. But dominion is meant to be this idea of stewardship and responsibility. That it's all still God's, but we care for it for him. It doesn't mean we get to abuse it. Steward it. Use it well. We harness its potential to bring about the flourishing of life. How will many people in this world understand who God is? By how His image bearers steward His creation. We are not animals. Pigs don't take up a collection for humans lost in the hurricane or the fires. Dogs don't form a committee to fix tuberculosis. Goats don't get involved in the AIDS crisis. My gospel community leader, Donald Lesbick, sent me this article about how they're teaching, you know, for decades now, they've been teaching chimpanzees and apes how to do sign language. And they found over all these decades of all this, not once has one of these chimpanzees or apes actually ever asked a question. They only respond to things. The cognitive ability is not there. We are different than everything else that was created. We're farther along. This is self-evident because you see people walking behind their, their dog when they take it for a walk and they poop. You take a bag out and you pick it up because we don't leave it lying around. If dogs are farther along, they carry their own bag, right? But they're not. They're not. We're farther along. Genesis 127. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God creates us, men and women, different but equal. Sometimes I get in trouble for saying that. I I don't have any idea idea why. Uh, Modern psychology says, oh, no, it's culture that makes boys and girls different. No. Boys and girls are just different. Without being offensive in any way, boys love peeing on everything. They think, oh, this is great. I'm going to write my name. I can't write my name yet. I'll just pee. As an adult, I like peeing in my backyard. My wife doesn't think it's cool at all. Okay? Boys and girls are different. My old dog would go and roll in it. I don't roll in it because I'm not an animal. See? We're different. We're farther along. But we have this thing called sin that enters the world, and men and women are always battling and vying for supremacy against one another. If we just read the creation account, we know that we're equal because God made us equal. In the ancient world, only the scriptures taught equality. Didn't see that coming. Genesis holds men and women equal, but created different. I don't have to get in touch with my feminine side. Ladies, you don't got to get in touch with your masculine side. We're image bearers of God. And if we would love one another correctly, we would reflect the love of the Trinity. If we honor one another correctly, we reflect the love of the Trinity. If we honor how we were made in His image, we'll reflect the love of the Trinity. The Bible is not unclear in its focus. Men and women, marry each other, have kids, be a blessing, not a burden, honor one another, grow old, love God. It's, it's beautiful. And too often we're so afraid to show the world what it really looks like to be image bearers because we're afraid of being taken advantage of. We're afraid of serving and loving and giving like our great God has first done to us. And so we hoard and hide. You want to be a countercultural freak? Get married, have some kids, raise them by being their parent and not their buddy. Wild and crazy. Like, I go to work, I'm drug free, I raise my kids. Woo! Crazy. The mandate of Genesis is we should live in God's image as He intends so the world around us would say, What's different about you? With the understanding of the gospel of Jesus' rescue and redemption, we got to, we get to say, Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose from the grave and the tomb is empty and God's alive and he fixes things. Do you want to know him? That's what we get to talk about being his image bearers. It's beautiful. And rather than running away from culture, we get to transform the culture in which we reside.
Do you know the word for, for human comes from this Latin root for humility? To be the people God intends in the midst of all the glory you place us in is to be a humble human. God has created some amazing things. I've seen pictures through the Hubble t- Space Telescope. And yet in the scriptures, God considers humanity to be his greatest creation. Didn't see that coming. And that's not to give us a big head. It's supposed to make us humble, realizing what God did out of love for his people. Genesis tells us that we're to live in humility, realizing that we are not God. We should not boast and brag as though we think we're the center of the universe. And it's sad today because all the greatness that God has placed in his image bearers is now being used for great evil. And the world's in a horrible mess. And we call this sin. We are trying today to do our best to deny the God that made us, the God who sets everything in motion. We try to live as our own gods, as our own individuals, when God made us to live in community with him and other people. We are constantly destroying his image in us. Central to the gospel is the redeeming and restoration of God's image in mankind. Like today, people will go to these things called recovery groups. There's nothing wrong with them. I think they're great. But what do we need to recover? The image and likeness of God. That's what we need to recover. True recovery is going to understand redemption in its entirety. According to the Bible, our value and worth doesn't come from our performance. It comes from creation. It's why in churches and Christian families, we're to value all life, young and old, healthy and sick, born and unborn, awake, asleep, or in a coma. We value human life because it's a gift from God and we are made in His image. We are set apart from all other life because we're made in the image and likeness of God. And our problem today is we either think we're so great, we think we are God, and we act like God, and we think that everybody around us needs to bow to our will, or we think we're so horrible that we act like animals. We're not God and we're not animals. We are image bearers of our great God who has made us. And our lives are only going to make sense when we understand that. This is why we must understand that we are to love and honor God's image in people no matter what our work or our neighborhoods or our friends' stupid social hierarchy looks like because everyone is made in the image and likeness of God. Our worth comes from being an image bearer. God loves us. God loves us. And if we consider ourselves believers in Jesus Christ, we're to treat creation well and others with respect and ultimately give all the glory in our lives to God. So, our gospel reminder for this week. Here's your statement. Okay, here it is. The gospel is the good news that in Jesus, God came to restore and renew humanity to what he meant for it to be. Image bearers who love and serve him and others in humility. Now, what I want you guys to do is I want you to repeat it with me. I don't not like a cult. Okay, don't don't get your tinfoil hats and your and your weird tennis shoes and things like that. Okay, but I'm going to have you repeat it with me. (laughs) See how you do. First service. Terrible. Like, they're all over the place. Second service is pretty good, so I'll see how well you do. I'll let you know when you're done. There will be a test, and you'll be graded. No. Okay, so ready? Here we go. Three, two, one. The gospel. So part of what we're going to do this week in your notes... Yeah, this is great. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, uh, B plus. <laughs> B plus. No. Really? You're not hungry for lunch yet? <laughs> this, the first service and second service got messed up. This one's going on the podcast. Stop heckling. <laughs> yes, so in your booklets, we have in there a way for you to maybe rewrite that in your own words. 
And if you, if you can't think of a better way to say that in your own words, then, then just kind of think on this this week. Again, this isn't meant to be legalistic. It's meant to be a resetting and a reminder of who God calls us to be as his people. Every, every week at home, we come to communion, right? It's this place where you break a cracker that represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice. It represents his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? Because we had a broken relationship with God. We had marred the image of God in us. We had no hope for life. And so Jesus comes and by his death and resurrection takes away all that stood between us and him and us and one another. And that's what we remember at communion. The restoration of the image of God in us. God calls us to be these people. And, and we do have dignity, value, and worth because we're made in his image. But this is the restoration and redemption of that image so we begin to understand what it really means. That our God loved us so much, he just didn't leave us to wallow in the midst of our brokenness. Our God came to put us back together again because he loves us and he is gracious and he is good. And so we get to live as his image bearers in the world. The band's going to come up, wherever the four of them, wherever they are. Uh, and, and as they come up, take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And if you need prayer, and maybe you're, you're in a place today where you feel like you've made a lot of poor choices in your life and you have marred the image of God, and you want someone to pray with you about that. They would love to pray with you about that. If you have, uh, if you have a hard time seeing the image of God in other people and you're angry all the time at other people, they would, they would love to pray with you about that. If you have anything going on in your life, they'd love to pray with you about that. But especially if you have any questions about image and likeness and grace and hope and redemption and the goodness of God, because our God is simply that good. They're offering boxes uh, next to the doors, and if you want to give, that's where we do it. We don't pass a plated element. It's always meant to be a response to what God has done in our hearts and in our lives. Our great God gives to us, and so we in return give to him as well. And so there's offering boxes to give. Uh, there's some food outside. We invite you to grab something to eat, meet some other people. If you're not in a gospel community, uh, you can sign up for one or take some notes and talk to some friends about it and begin to walk through some of those questions. Because I'll, I'll tell you guys, the, the more that we do this journey together, I think the greater we'll understand what God is intending for us to be as image bearers. Because if you have friends and you deal with people in your life, you know people are hard. They are, people are a pain in the butt. I can't understand what in the world is wrong with people most of the time. And quite honestly, they say the same thing about you. They do. So we have to understand that God calls us as image bearers to begin to walk through this life together with one another, dealing with the hard things and and the joyful things both. Because he intends for us to do this together. And this is why we're giving you these booklets, because we want everybody to be able to be on the same page by the time the 16 weeks is done. And again, if, if this has been like the worst Sunday of your life, you're never coming back, take a book anyway <laughs> and, and read through it. And hopefully you'll, you'll read through the story of God that's in there. And you'll come out the other side and hopefully understand the gospel better in the end. Because we are a people made in his image to be his image bearers in this world, to love and to serve him and others as God has first loved us. So let's pray. Father, this morning. I do ask that you would take us as your people and you'd remind us day by day by day of your goodness and your restoration. We ask that for those in this room who feel like they have no hope, that you'd restore that hope because our hope is in you. I'd ask for people in this room who feel like they've marred your image in them so bad that it can never be restored, that they would begin to understand that that's not the case that you long to restore us and redeem us, to help us to understand your gracious love and your goodness and bringing us back into your family.
Father, teach us to be a people who see your image in others. And that would cause us to start to treat other people with a little more dignity and respect as well. That by how we steward your creation and love others around us, that people would see more of who you are because we would understand more of how you have saved us. That we would love because of how you've loved us. That we would be a people who live in your image and likeness. That we'd understand the good news that all things can be new and renewed again. Draw us to you, especially over these next 16 weeks, to understand the gracious goodness of who you are and us being restored to be your image bearers and the good news that has been spoken of what Jesus has done to rescue us. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.